Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another uh, Bible in a Year podcast episode. This week, we're going to be looking at the book of Zechariah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Vicar Jared, and I'm joined today by Barry Pfeiffer. Uh, you, you guys have met him before, so don't worry, I, I got permission, but we're going we're gonna to bypass his introduction because you already know him. Yes. And we're going to be right, back. <laughs> it's good to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to go right into uh, kind of the general context uh, of our book and then get into some some relatively interesting content, not to say all scripture isn't interesting. Uh, so to start off, if you hadn't guessed, the book of Zechariah is, surprise, surprise, written by Zechariah. Uh, it's written sometime around 520 BC, so in order to kind of set this contextually, God's people are taken by Babylon. They're put into captivity. They, they kind of struggle through this. And finally, uh, a guy named Cyrus comes along and he says, you guys can go back to your land. You can, you can get out of my kingdom and go back and do your thing. You know, he's still ruling, but he, he sends them back. And at this time of sending them back, they, they get to uh, Jerusalem. And they're, I mean, it's devastation. You know, the, the Babylonian kingdom kind of raised their lands to the ground. And they need to start from scratch. So they focus mainly on themselves. And if you remember, this is what the book of Haggai is actually talking about. Zechariah and Haggai uh, live around the same time. They're doing the same sort of thing. And uh, God's not happy with it. They're focused on themselves. They're no longer focused on him or what he has done for his people. So he calls Zechariah and Haggai to encourage them. Get working on the temple. You guys have a place to live. Think about getting me a place to, to reside where you can come and worship and, and be with, with me because ultimately God wants to have a relationship with his people. Um, as I said, the, the big historical context is is the fact that these Haggai and Zechariah coincide. That's kind of the key to, to understanding what's going on in this book is we've talked about Haggai, the temple being rebuilt, but they're going hand in hand. We got two prophets doing something that's vitally important. God's people have suffered they need to be brought back to him. And in order to be brought back to him, they need a place to go. God always has this physical presence with his people, and he wants to have this relationship. So he pushes Zechariah to, to lead his people to build a temple. The only distinction that I want to point out here is that uh, although they're both living at the same time with the same idea, Haggai is more of a a law book, so to speak. Um, he is he's focused on kind of telling the people, hey, you're not doing it right. Get on track. Whereas Zechariah is is leading with gospel. He's saying, we have a great God. He's going to do great things, but we need to be in line with him. Uh, so that kind of ends my, my historical context. Uh, Barry, did you have anything that you wanted to point out? Yeah, it's, it was really interesting to see that the book of Zechariah is kind of a mix of repentance and judgment and salvation and there's a lot of as i was reading the footnotes and doing a little bit of research it's there's a lot of what's called apocalyptic literature which mm. is encouraging god's people to do these things and reminding them of your forefathers didn't do so well at this and this is what led to exile and we're not going to go back to that we're going to do things differently this time and really encouraging the people as you said to rebuild the temple and give God a place to reside among his people. And there's a lot of messianic references that I, I noticed mm -hmm. in, in Zechariah where we see um, Jesus kind of being mentioned and things that we will read later on in scripture when Christ does come to redeem mankind. So uh, Luther referred to Zechariah as one of the most comforting prophets because there yeah. is a lot of kind of later on in the book you get a lot of, you know, I will be with my people, I will shield them, I will protect them, and 
deliver them from their enemies. And so there's a lot of hope in the book of Zechariah that I noticed. Man, you had a lot of great content there in that, in that <laughs> couple minutes that we got to unpack. Well, right. first off, uh, you, you mentioned the, the sort of type of book that, that Zechariah is. And it's it's fascinating because he is uh, he does have this apocalyptic, this revelatory uh, way of writing. And he, he speaks of the coming Messiah, mm-hmm. but he does so many other things that that giving Zechariah a, a place, kind of trying to put him in a, a certain circle of, of literature, is almost impossible. He right. does so much so well that it's 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 just a fascinating book to get into. Yeah, and in fourteen chapters too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a great read, and I hope you, you as a listener and you, you guys enjoy reading it uh, yourselves. And then talking about the Messiah, I don't know about you, but as I was reading it and kind of thinking through what he's pointing his people to, or what, what Zechariah is pointing God's people to, is is uh, it's comforting, but it's also surprising. And, and we talk about it sometimes in terms of Jesus isn't the one you suspect. Right. He's not the Messiah that people are expecting. You know, God's people are going through strife throughout the Old Testament. Right. So many things happen. So many struggles. And the things that, thing that gets them through is we got somebody coming. Right. Some sort of Savior's coming. They're going to do something huge. Right. Which Jesus does. But he's not what you expect. Yeah. And I have to guarantee that God's people, after having just been in Babylon, really want a warrior. Yeah. If I was them, I would want... This soldier who couldn't be harmed, you know, I'm thinking Achilles-esque, you know, sure. with no with no weaknesses, who's going to come and just lay waste to yeah. all my enemies. And that's not what they get. And even Zechariah says it's, it's not what they're going to get. They're not yeah. getting this this almighty savior. They're getting meek and mild. Yeah. And it's comforting, but also it's confusing. Yeah. And that's, I think, maybe they were somewhat conditioned in the sense that if you look back through the kings and and David especially is they're so used to these like you said kind of a warrior type king Mm -hmm. who is going out and fighting the enemies and there's physical battle and there's a lot more strength earthly strength kind of being shown to these kings but you know and and Zechariah refers to you know riding on a donkey and meek and mild and that's as you said that's not at all what the people were expecting and so when Jesus comes, it's no one's thinking that it's going to be him. It's, yep. They're they're still looking for somebody at that time to then go against Rome and and purge the land of the Romans, and that was not at all how it was going to happen. And so, and it, what's so interesting, and, and what I'm starting to appreciate as I kind of get older and read more of the Old Testament, is that God is continually giving these sort of hints I guess you could say or you know through the prophets that this is who the Messiah will be and and he's giving them certain things like for example I think it's in check my notes here um, I think it was later in chapter it talks about the chapter 11 where they referred to talking about the shepherd and the the two staffs, one that's called union and one that's called favor. And in verse 12, um, it says, I, I told them if you think it, so the what's happening here is the, uh, the shepherd is kind of being 
cast out by the flock and trying to get rid of him. And there's a reference to, they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And then in verse 13, the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter and the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. And that, as soon as I read it, it, it just instantly reminded me of when Judas portrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and, and everything that happens there. And it goes on to talk about you know the union, the staff of union, breaking the brotherhood of Judah and Israel. And just, it's so hard to read that and not think of what is going to later happen to Jesus. And, you know, so we have all these little hints, these little clues that point to Jesus throughout the Old Testament that you would hope, and I can't blame the Israelites too much because I'm sure I would have made that same mistake yeah. back then, but you would hope that the, all these little things, when they happen, that the people, if they are faithful, if they remain true as God is constantly calling them to to do, that they would those would stand out to them just as well. Yeah, yep. I completely agree. And, and uh, you know, one thing that, as you were talking, in terms of, of you know, coming and in, in this union that they're going to get, it's fascinating that they see it and we're saying hopefully they'll, they'll come to terms with it. It's hard to, to realize the separation we have in terms of we don't get to see Jesus, we didn't get to see these things, but, man, what a blessing it is for us that yeah. we get to read through these things and, I mean, it's all right there, self-contained, and you get to see the foreshadowing. You can, you can yep. turn your book back and forth yes. and see, oh, he's talking about Jesus. Let me go to that point. Whereas yeah. if I was here in Zechariah, what are you talking about, man? Yeah. Like, wh- Who is this guy yeah. that's going to be coming? And when's he coming? Yeah. Uh, blessings all around, I guess, just yeah. for different people. One thing that stuck out to, my, to, to me here as I was reading also uh, is we, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, the law of Haggai and sort of the gospel of Zechariah. They, both books include a little bit of God, law and gospel. But if you put them side to side, they, they embody, I think, well, the law and gospel distinction in the way that it both bring us to faith. Because uh, throughout Haggai, we have, you've been bad, right? be good. It's law. It's right. the way it is. But in Zechariah, I found it fascinating. He's giving them these great... Uh, pictures into the future things that are these great blessings and through that israel uh ends up being sorrowful for rejecting god yeah they didn't need the law to get there they know what's coming what's going to be coming for them they know that they have a loving god and that's what makes them sorry for what they've done and that's powerful for us today and an important lesson there's times and places for what you use when you're talking to people. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes people need the law. Sometimes they need to be reminded they're not doing something right. And sometimes they just need to know that God loves them. Yeah. And that can bring them just as much to faith. Yeah. I, I think one of the, what really stood out to me was about halfway through, it talks about in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 8, uh, verse 16. And I, I, I highlighted this because this really stood out to me. It says, and this is NIV version, it says, These are the things you are to do. Speak, this is God talking. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other, then render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. That, to me, it, it just, you have God that is just laying it out there and saying, This is how you have, this is covenant living. This is the covenant I've made with you. This is the expectation. This is what you need to do. And he goes so far as to say, 
if you're plotting evil against each other, if you're turning away, if you're doing all these things, I, I hate this. That's a strong statement from God to let his people know, you know, hey, I'm being honest with you. And this is, I, I detest these things. I can't, I can't look upon these things. And, and he tells them about this is, these are things that your forefathers did that caused me to remove <laughs> yeah. that covenant, to leave their presence and let them be handed over to the Babylonians and the, you know, Assyrians and everyone else who eventually scattered the whole entire people all over the the region. So, yeah, there, it's a very good balance because I think sometimes we hear a lot of law but no gospel, and that just defeats people. Mm-hmm. And other times there's places that it's all gospel, it's all, you know, the good stuff, and there's no law to be a foundation of, you know, why does the gospel matter? Mm-hmm. Well, the gospel matters because the law is there and yep. you know whom can we turn to for salvation well it's not us yep and it's it's only found in christ yeah exactly it's funny as you were talking about this the the language he uses here and saying he hates it mm-hmm. i couldn't help but think at least you know when i was a kid and i'm sure you being a parent yourself sometimes your kids do something that like you, maybe that's not the best but you're not like upset about right. it I'd prefer if maybe you didn't do that. And then there's things that maybe your kids want to do that you really don't like. And then you say, you're not doing that again, or you're not going to do it ever. Right. That's where we're getting here. Yeah. God isn't using wishy-washy language. He's saying, ah, you know, I don't, I don't like that, but whatever. Yeah. He said, I hate it. Mm-hmm. You will not be doing these things under my rule. Yeah. There's a way I want you to live and you better abide by that. This yeah. is a powerful command to be given to his people, but it also speaks to the fact that, God doesn't lead leave his people in the dark with what he wants done. Right. He is very clear. He yes. says, do this, this, this. It's not a matter of us stumbling in the dark, figuring yeah. out what's right and wrong. It's not a riddle. It's I'm telling you specifically yeah. that this is good or this is bad. Which, man, just has to speak volumes about how patient our God is. The fact that he, he very directly says, don't do it, and then we do it anyway. Yep. yep. Can't imagine that and just the amount of patience that's going to take. <laughs> yeah, and for as long as he's been patient, and even to this day, I mean, just being, we're all, I think, in agreement that we want Christ to come quickly and that we know the good that awaits us, but God knowing the plan and knowing what's best and knowing that there are still people out there who don't know him mm-hmm. and giving those people time to hear of his good news, to hear of Jesus, to uh, come into that relationship with him. It's, you know, it's for us, we're like, okay, well, I already do that. So let's go. Come on, I'm ready. <laughs> it's like, well, you're ready. That's great. But there's still people out there that God wants to reach and is giving them that time to to do that. So nobody can say, well, I didn't know, or I didn't have time, or I didn't, you know, that's, you know. Not, you knew. Yeah, you knew. And when Christ comes back, it's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention that just as you're talking, I hadn't actually thought about it, but we always talk about our impatience to wanting to be with God. We want to mm-hmm. have our blessings, but there's also something to be said about God because yeah. it's not like He doesn't want us to be with Him either. It's not like yeah. He doesn't want the world to be this perfect creation where He gets to spend time with us. I mean, I'm sure He's chomping at the bit too, thinking, "Man, this is going to be great when we have all these blessings." Yeah, but He knows all. And he knows what's right, and he says, even though I want that, yes. well, well, that'll come for everything a time. Yes, now's the time when I need to get more people to know yeah. about me. 
And and he kind of mentions that too in chapter eight, where he uh, starting in verse twenty, he talks about many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the have and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, "Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty." I myself am going. So it kind of a reference to the Gentiles, I think, there of the people from all these nations around Jerusalem will come to see the great things that the Lord has done and to receive blessings from the Lord. And um, it becomes more open to everyone. And yeah, it's, it's tough for us to be, to be patient and understanding of that. And, but we know that, that God has this plan. And, and it's really interesting that uh, in the beginning in chapter one, and I think towards the end, like chapter 13, he says twice that I am a jealous God. Mm-hmm. I am jealous for my people. So he, we have this book end of God is starting with, I'm jealous for my people. I will bring you back. I will restore you. And then it ends with, you know, I'm jealous for my people, reminding them that if you follow my covenants, if you follow my commands, if you obey me, then all these things will be given to you. And it, we read that and it's like, well, that seems so simple. I mean, why is it so hard? But <laughs> yeah. There's this sin thing that we keep doing and have done for you know since the beginning of time that that pulls us away and um, it's just you never realize how difficult it is until you're going through your daily life and you realize you really stop and think about okay you know, how have I really served God yeah. today it kind of becomes a bit of a grim grim picture really quickly and yep. um, you start to have maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know if empathy is the right word, but a little more understanding for what the Israelites were going through. And it's so easy that when we read it today, like, how could they have missed that? That's so obvious. That's <laughs> so, but we do the same thing. And we have the same God that is still being patient with us and still jealous for us and still jealous for those who don't know him. You know, like you said, he wants everybody to be reconciled to him and and he's giving people plenty of time to do that and it's hard to wait <laughs> yeah it is it's funny you say the, the grimness of of kind of self-reflection because i was thinking about it just this last week if you really want to feel a grim realization it's in the fact that we you know we're sinful in thought word and deed so yeah if you really want to think about grim is how many thoughts do oh, i have yeah. And that'll put you right in the law hole and realize you really need a savior. Yeah. But luckily, Zechariah gives us all sorts of good yep. news about having a savior. Absolutely. Did you have any uh, more thoughts from Zechariah that you'd like to pull out? Yeah, I think one of my favorite parts was in chapter 3 where it talks about... Uh, so, Zechariah is given eight visions. And I was I was really thankful that the footnotes pointed out that a vision is not the same as a dream. Mm-hmm. When you have a vision, you're you're awake. You're you're not asleep. You're not in a deep sleep or anything like that. So, uh, the fourth vision he gets, it's about clean garments for the high priest, and uh, it starts in chapter three. And what I found interesting was that there's this imagery of um, the Lord says to Satan is, is standing next to Joshua, the high priest, and uh, the Lord says to Satan. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And I thought that was really interesting that Zechariah is being given this vision of a burning stick pulled out of the fire. 
as somebody who grew up in Babylon who probably knew the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm. So we have God kind of working in this this small example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting rescued from the fire unharmed. And God's going to do the same thing on a bigger scale with Israel by sending Jesus. And then on an even bigger scale, he's doing the same thing for us by sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we're not confined to the, the fires of hell. And you know, we see Satan standing here as the accuser and you know the Lord saying, no, he's been snatched from your, from your yeah. grasp. And you know, again, that messianic imagery is just really struck me as like, wow, he's, he's using something that I, that Zachariah would recognize, I would think from, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and, and what those three men did to this is now being applied to Israel. And then it's going to be applied to people everywhere of Christ's crucifixion. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. God does speak in ways that we can understand and that, that Zechariah could understand because mm-hmm. man, imagine if Zechariah had been getting images of like a Tesla, and, <laughs> you know, NFL, he'd you be like, too. what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And even reading scripture, sometimes we, we find ourselves confused because we don't yeah. know culture, but God speaks in terms people can understand. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it. Anything else you'd like to, to bring our listener to? Um, that was that was really what stood out to me the most. Um, and it, it, it all culminates in the last chapter that you know, Christ will reign victorious and you know, I mentioned at the beginning that Luther referred to Zechariah as the most comforting of the prophets, and I think that's where we we see that. Once you get to the last few chapters, there's you know God giving his people rest, and there's peace, and I think that's what we're, especially given current events, I think that's what we're all striving to. And, rest and peace. Yeah, exactly. Just peace and rest, and knowing that even though we have difficult days ahead of us, and trying times and it feels like that the world's only getting more complicated every day we still have our god who is with us and sees us and hears us and sustains us restores us he does all these things because he is jealous for us and he does love us and um, we don't deserve it you know we certainly are no better than the israelites at this time trying to find their way back they've made it back home and you know, they can quickly get off the rails again. So Zechariah is telling them in this book that, you know, I really like how it's, it's constantly saying this will happen if, if um, you'll know that this is happening because I'm God. Yep. And this is kind of a sign to you that, that I am who I say I am. And I think we still have the same things today. We just have to maybe look a little bit harder when we're taking stock of, what transpired in our day we can if we look and really think about it we'll see that god's hand was definitely in it yeah yep we're it's funny you say that because i just had this thought that we're so adept at at thinking that or putting the blame on god's hand when bad things happening something bad happens well god why'd you do that but we're so bad at when good things (laughs) happening realizing god thank you for the blessing that this was his hand's a part of it and yet we we don't give him the credit for those yep. things which just fascinates me but you're right Zechariah is a great comfort uh, 
regardless of where you're at because it's a book all about Christ. Yeah. And what a better comfort than Christ himself. Yep. Well, uh, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll take our, our listeners to the five main takeaways, takeaways here uh, of Zechariah. Uh, first off, we have God will reign. He's reigned from the start, and he's going to continue. There's no end point to that. And that's a huge comfort. We know that God's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But he's also all-loving, and that's important. Uh, second, long for God. It's easy to get to get sidetracked. Sometimes we start longing for the weekend or these little things in our lives. Not that that's bad, but in God we have an eternal thing that we can look forward to that's never going to let us down. So especially in struggles, remember, long for God because he's there. Uh, third, remember what's been done for you. It's kind of on the, the same thread as that last one. God's people have been brought out of some incredible things, and we are still God's people. You know, it, it's easy to separate ourselves from the Bible and, and from these stories of the Israelites, but we are still God's people. They were God's people. He has done great things for them at the beginning. Yep. We're still in this story, and he's still doing great things for us. But but remember, he he's done great things. <laughs> uh, for even in strife, we can rejoice. We have the, the Israelites here, God's people, they went to Babylon. They suffered, man. I, it was it was a hard time, but they also are getting the gospel message that Christ will come, or for us, Christ has come. That's all you need. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what the struggle is, we have confidence to know that we have great, great joys coming. And not only that, but all of these things, all of the, the brokenness of this world, it's not a foretaste to worse. Because what was worse has been destroyed. Now the joys are a foretaste to even greater joys. And then lastly, you're his. I think that's a great place to, to leave it. You are God's. That's all you need to know. You are his creature and he wants you so very badly. Take the amount that you know we want to be in heaven. He wants mm-hmm. that too. He yeah. wants it so very much to be with us. And because of that, we know that he will do nothing. He'll stop at nothing to get us back. God's blessings. Listen, I hope that uh, you enjoy Zechariah as much as myself and, and Barry did. Have a good one.